thine angels come to Abram's bosom bear me As I've mentioned before about that particular hymn, it's uh, kind of interesting, a few months ago, a while back, I introduced, kind of introduced this, and people said they were unfamiliar with it, but I found out one thing, at least with Zion, they sang it at least seven times within three years, and the reason I know that is because I found an old hymnal from a pastor who marked every time they used the hymn, and they're like, we've never sang this before, like, according to this pastor, you sang it seven times in three years. But it's actually that third verse is actually one of those verses I think that every, every person should memorize because it is one that is often sung. If a pastor happens to be there in the last moments of your life, it is a song that is sung with you. So that's why it's very nice to have that memorized. Because there's just think about that. Right on those last minutes, hearing those words, Lord, let at last thine angels come. Perfect words. But anyways... The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew 9, which we read earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus is surrounded by a large crowd. This is a detail that comes out especially in Mark's account of this very same situation. The crowd is thick because Jesus is developing quite a reputation. A reputation as a teacher and a reputation as a healer. And so there is this man who is paralyzed. Who is being brought by his friends. Now to give a detail of that time is that in that time being a paralytic was quite an awful situation to live in. Now, not to say it's not an awful situation now, it still isn't a good situation. But in the first century, it was made even worse because they did not have much of what we have now. They did not have wheelchairs. They did not have hospitals. They did not have nursing homes. There was not anybody to care for them. Even today with paralysis, there's even some things that can make people able to speak who are unable to. Now, in the time of Jesus, the only way you got around was on a mat. You had to have four people or more who are willing to carry you all over the place. Which is why being paralyzed in Jesus' time was basically a death sentence. Because most paralytics did not have 
but several friends to care for them. And so usually they starved to death. It was a very common fate. And so this man who is paralyzed, who's in this condition, he's being carried by his friends, and like I said, they see this huge crowd. Now with a huge crowd, if it's just one person trying to get healed, they might be able to wiggle their way through. But when you're carrying somebody on a mat, you can't exactly do that. So in the Gospel of Mark, it gives the detail that they go up to the top of the house, remove the roof, and lower the man inside, right at Jesus' feet. And when Jesus saw their faith, so Mark gives you a little bit more detail into that faith. I mean, think about that. They probably, when they lowered him in by the ropes, they probably let the ropes go. For all they know, Jesus might, there's a possibility Jesus couldn't do what the rumors had been saying. There's a possibility that even if he did, can, Jesus might not be in the mood to do it. Because you find in scriptures times where Jesus refused to do miracles. There's a possibility this might have been one of those moments. <coughs> so it took a bit of faith to, to drop their friend in there. So, the first, so Jesus says to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. See, what Jesus said, if he was not God, was a, very, was a blasphemous thing to say. Because nobody can forgive every man's sin unless they're God. To give you an analogy of how the, to explain this, is let's pretend that after I got done with church today, now I'm not going to do this, and I don't have a habit of doing this, but let's say I go out, and I just randomly punch someone in the face. Now who is the only person that could forgive me for punching that person? The person I punched, Right? It'd be strange if another person came up and said, oh, I forgive you for doing that. They can't do that because I didn't do that to them. But when Jesus, when this paralytic was brought before Jesus, he wasn't like, oh, you, like the, it wasn't like the paralytic was dropped on Jesus' toe and Jesus was forgiving him for, do, for that. Jesus forgave him for every single sin he had ever committed. Now the only person that could do that is the only person whom every single sin is committed against. God. Which is why the scribes got angry. If he is not God, he is not in a position to do, say what he said. And by saying what he said, if he's not God, is blasphemy. So you could imagine the scribes, as soon as Jesus said this, are suddenly looking around for stones to throw at him. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. 
Now, assuming that you could probably supplement in there when Jesus says, which is easier to say, you should understand the fullness of that. He's saying, which is easier to say, mean, and do? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. See, the, the scribes knew the answer to that. Very often our temptation is to moralize and say, well, it's so much easier to do nice things, but it's very hard to forgive sins. Or we come up with some little thing to moralize this little statement of Jesus. But actually, the answer to Jesus' question is, both are equally hard. Because the only person who could say those things and mean it and do it with his words is the same person. God. Which is, so he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Now, if that was a you could, if that was a modern day, somebody might want. What are the, you could imagine the disciples turning to the scribes and saying, "How about them apples?" Because they're wondering who is he to forgive sins. Well, he's the guy that just told a paralytic to stand up, to pick up his mat and walk, and he did. Thus, proving that he was God, proving that he had authority to forgive sins. Now there's a second riddle thing that's going on here. A question could be asked is why did Jesus forgive sins first? Why didn't he say to this paralytic right away, hey, rise, get up, walk? Why did he do that second? And the reason is simple. His sins were a greater problem than his paralysis. And that's, a, that's hard to think of because paralysis is not a good thing. But the thing, the problem is, is that without, if there was no sin in the world, there would be no paralysis. If there wasn't sin in the world, nobody would ever get sick. No one ever would get hurt. There would be no blindness, no deafness. Nobody would even die. And by the way, I know if you real one of the things is that there's no sin in the world. People who have jobs that are like in medicine or law enforcement or EMTs or firefighting, whatever, you would have no job. You wouldn't be able to do any of it. Actually, that'd be a good thing. You wouldn't have to do it because nobody would ever get hurt. You'd never be needed. That is why he forgave sins because sin is the root problem of all of it because it was more important and it actually hits at the root of the reason question why doesn't God do this why doesn't God do that why doesn't he heal this person why doesn't he heal that person now first off God does do a lot more than I think we realize this is one of the reasons why amongst scientists the greatest percentage of scientists who happen to be Christian happen to be doctors. Probably because doctors see a lot of things that they can't explain. 
people getting better that shouldn't get better. But even still, there are many times that God does not rescue in the way we want him to. The question is, why not? It's because whatever that is ailing our body is not our real threat. Because the reality is, like with this paralytic, that paralytic was going to get sick again. He did get sick again. And if he got to old age, he probably got to that time again when people would need to help him get around because his joints are just not working the same. And eventually, he would face death. See, any miracle that God performs on us in this life, any time that God relieves us of a sickness in this life is only temporary. Because eventually there will be a sickness that is going to come or an injury that's going to come that you will die from. Every cure, every healing is temporary. The forgiveness of sins is what is needed above all else. Because when we die, whether those sins have been wiped away or not, will be all the difference. And because Jesus came into the world to suffer, to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to purchase you and me, a lost and condemned creature, not with silver or gold, but with that precious, innocent suffering and death, with his precious blood. Because of that, when our death comes, we have the promise that we will not go to condemnation. We will not go to suffering in hell. We will go to heaven. And wait for the day that our bodies will rise. See, the question is, why isn't God healing? He is going to heal. All those who have faith in him, ultimately your body will be healed way, way better than you even imagine. It'll be even better than this paralysis. When he healed the paralytic, you know, I don't know if he did. Maybe the, the paralytic couldn't hear well. Maybe he didn't have good sight. Or maybe he had something that was just a little off. Jesus didn't take care of all this stuff. He just took care of the paralysis. He probably had other things that could be taken care of. But see, when you get raised from the dead, your body is going to have everything that is ever wrong with it taken care of, wiped away as if you never suffered from it. That is what the forgiveness of sins delivers. That is the gift, the victory that is yours on account of Jesus. It's a free gift. He doesn't say, well, if just, once you get better, I'll give you that. He gives it as a gift. You did nothing to receive it. So today, we are celebrating LWML Sunday. In the LWML pledge, it begins with these words, and we're going to say it in a little bit. In fervent gratitude for the Savior's dying love and his blood-bought gift of redemption. So it begins with that acknowledgement. 
that we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, bought for salvation, our forgiveness wiped away. It's as if you never sinned, but instead he committed all of our sins. That's what happens in the cross. That's what happens in baptism. In baptism, he receives your sin and you receive his perfect righteousness. So in gratitude to that, we dedicate ourselves to him with all that we are and have and in obedience to his call for workers in the harvest fields, we pledge him our willing service wherever and whenever he has need of us. And it continues on, talking about how we serve God in reaction to what he has done for us. See, we are on this earth. We have been redeemed. Notice in that lesson, after Jesus healed this, when he healed this man, he didn't say, he didn't say rise and walk. He said, take up your bed and walk. The difference is, is he's telling him, don't leave this person, the guy, owner of this house to clean up after you. Get up and serve. You have been forgiven. You've been given the gift of Jesus. Rise up and serve. There are opportunities aplenty. The Lutheran Women's Missionary League, as a history, has served many congregations, including this one. When it comes to funerals in particular, you notice, but in many other ways, they have served this congregation. And they serve not only this congregation, but this world. This last Wednesday at the Zone Rally, there was about 900-something that was collected, right? That we ended up donating to missions. For there's a group, there's an organization known as BB's Hope, which is committed to supporting orphans in Mali, West Africa. On Wednesday, the the uh, the LWML zone of the Northwest, the Northwest zone, committed to serving two orphans for for a full year with their offerings. And I, th- and I think, what was it, another 150 meals or so from Mercy Meals out of Sioux City served to those in need? At the national convention, they, have ag- they agreed a couple, the last, not this past summer, but the summer before, to raise $2 million in might offerings to support 16 different missions around the world And by the way, that's what that little purple box is representing right there. And we're going to collect today, right? Are we doing a noisy collection? All right. So, and you're going to collect. If you have change in your pocket, you throw it in. And you look at the missions. There are some incredible things being done around the world through the LWML. And just something as simple as change that you don't even think about. Just throwing it in there. And supporting those who are in need. But it shouldn't be just the LWML doing this. As I say, just about every LWML Sunday, it seems, all Christians 
need to be rising up. Looking for ways to serve this world. To serve those in need. To serve as our youth put into action when they went to the National Youth Gathering in New Orleans. To serve our communities. All three of our congregations, if you look at our budgets, we have room to be serving. Look at our churches. This is actually, this is a thought that's brought to me by someone else. But look here, we have three floors, right? And we have what, is it two, two or three classrooms on each floor? Just sitting there empty. Well, they might be storage, but unused. What could we use that for? What could we be doing to serve maybe our local area or our world? I'm going to challenge all of you to think of something. I'm hoping in January that all three of our churches think of something that we can be doing to serve. Jesus has won you. There are people in this world that accuse Christians of not doing anything and sitting on their, just sitting and doing nothing and not caring. Why don't we go against that theory? Go against that speech. Prove them wrong. Look for opportunities to love, serve our community. They're there. Just got to keep your eyes open. Do it in in gratitude to what Christ has done for you. May we demonstrate that love until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand. We speak the LWML pledge together. In fervent gratitude for the Savior's dying love, and his blood-bought gift of redemption, we dedicate ourselves to him with all that we are and have, and in obedience to his call for workers in the harvest fields, we pledge him our willing service wherever and whenever he has need of us. We consecrate to our Savior our hands to work for him, our feet to go on his errands, our voice to sing his praises, our lips to proclaim his redeeming love, our silver and our gold to extend his kingdom, our will to do his will, and every power of our life to the great task of bringing the lost and the erring into eternal fellowship with him. Amen. At this time, we continue with the gathering of our offerings. You may be seated.